Hello, everyone. Welcome back to your favorite podcast in tech, the Do Better Dev Show. And if it ain't your favorite, then you're going to hear from our guest today, um, Nathan. That's me. Yeah. Ah, uh, thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Of course. Uh, yeah, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. It, this is there's one show that stands above the rest when it comes to tech, uh, despite its audio quality, and that's us. And that's us. And yeah, and if you really judge it by its content, then you're a bigot. You know and what they say about podcasts: don't judge a podcast by its content. Yeah. Or its audio quality. Exactly. Yeah. Just its album art. Yeah, we're cool people. Why don't you like us? Why aren't we your favorite? Yes. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think uh, now that we're done smearing our potential listener. Yes. <laughs> uh, how's it going? Oh, it's um, interesting. You yeah. know what? I'll start with my like the most frustrating thing. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm curious. Let start me... our like the cool frustration segment uh, with this frustration of um, finding out uh, Meta laid off a lot of people. Um, 11K is a big amount. <coughs> And I'm guessing like 5k of those are just recruiters, um, but still, like, because yeah, Meta has too many recruiters going everywhere. Maybe not as bad as AWS, who will like six recruiters will send you the same posting. Um, but yeah, it's uh, every you know for years and years and years, like for as long as I can remember, everyone's always going on about how you want to work for the big companies, uh, because if nothing, all the cool tech and stuff, you will you know have a good place to work, and there will be like a job security. Uh, to some extent, so long you perform well. I refuse to believe 11K people were all not performing well, so because this is now all comes down to the budgetary issues and loyalty doesn't go both ways when it comes to corporation. Well, the I don't know if he's the CEO, but the someone of GitHub says that all tech companies are two to 10 times overstaffed and anyone who's been paying attention already knows that. So. Maybe 11K is reasonable? You don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, to be fair, we've all worked with in a team where you're like, I don't know what this person does. I've never seen them push any code, do anything. They just randomly will break things. Or maybe just fly under the radar till they can negotiate out a better offer somewhere else. Um, seen, seen many of those, sure. And everyone knows QA is the first to go. Um, but it's just things like those. I, I just... <laughs> It's a bit frustrating because you don't know if it's an entire department. You don't know who is making the decisions on what basis. Um, what if people are new? What if they're too new? They, you don't have enough data to like fire them because they haven't been performing or whatever. You can't qualify someone as a low performer if they've been there for like three months, right? So things like that where I'm just like, okay, you know what? Maybe that's happening. Other companies are still sh- hiring. Sure, things will, money just moves around. Uh, but it's kind of frustrating uh, to even start thinking about that because now I'm actually at a big company and uh, regardless of how good or shit I might be at things I do, uh, it's not a nice thought to have to be like, hey, maybe I should like look for other jobs besides the fun of it. Besides just being like, yes, this is the only way uh, in tech you get to talk to a female is if you talk to a recruiter. Um, yeah. Hey, don't don't hate on my COVID plan. That was that was how I kept my social engagement below zero or above zero, uh, was HR screening calls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for some people it might be coming back. Uh, although the last three recruiters I've spoken to were all men, so I don't know. That's why you don't have an, That's why you don't have another offer lined up that's yet. That's also true. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Alright, I am changing my LinkedIn filter to just be like, yeah, if it's not a male sounding name, then just. Yeah. yeah. Just filter by does name equal Vanessa. That's what you need. Uh, As we know, all you true. need is somebody named Vanessa. They'll uh, clean your teeth. My old hijangus was named Vanessa. A Vanessa got me a job. What else? What more information? What more data points do you need? That's two things a man needs: clean teeth and a job. So. Yeah, and perhaps one led to the other. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Look good, was feel good. Was it a video interview? Uh, probably. Okay. I don't remember now. It's been a while. Mm. Uh, yeah, there were there were video interviews. Now that I'm thinking of it. Wow. And yeah. they were like the moment they opened and they're like, man, look at that guy's like dental hygiene. Well, I'm thinking back actually, this was not even the current job. This was the previous job. We still had in-person interviews at that time. Wow. Yeah. I met up with people in person, sat at a table in a public space, flashed my uh, toothy grin. They thought, wow, if he can have teeth that clean, imagine his code. Imagine his He probably uses really good design structures. Yeah, no bugs there. No. No. No, exactly. So, yeah, they were very impressed. So that could be you. That could be me. All right, well, I will go call up every dental place. My current one, whatever his name is, I've forgotten. Ah, uh, another it's dude. It's not Vanessa. And no. it's a heat. Yeah, so... Uh, we should probably clarify you. You are not. You were not let go by Meta. No. Uh, so for anyone who got that impression, I could see that being a potential miscommunication. That's true. Maybe go listen to our previous episodes where I very subtly always mentioned that how I met AWS. Yes. Um, subtly. So, yeah, very subtly. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all use S3. I'm building it. But yeah, stuff like stuff like that. So it's been a yeah. bit of a week like that, uh, and just office politics that I'm not a fan of. So, and it's winters, so I can't just escape and go climb a mountain. Right. Uh, the only other escapism I've left is maybe video games or alcohol, and I don't want to do alcohol. So no, you've you've been good about not getting too far into the alcohol. Yeah. Despite being on the off side. Exactly. Yeah, I have stayed in the dark side while having some light. Force within me has stayed strong. Yeah, perfectly balanced. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Exactly. Um. But yeah, so that's that's been happening. So yeah, AWS hasn't done any big layoffs. I think Amazon Robotics did a big one. Uh, and if Amazon does come down to it, because AWS is the most profitable part of the business, it might have the least amount of layoffs. The rest of the businesses might get affected. Uh, but then I also think of holidays coming up, and I don't think Amazon.com will be willing to let go a bunch of warehouse and delivery people in the season. Um, so who knows? I at Sometime later this afternoon, I was like, there's no point in thinking about if or I might have a job or not. Uh, I should just continue my thing of looking at other jobs and give myself like two days, three days to just be like, you know, that's fine. Let it run in your head. Let it do, do its dance. Just don't pay attention to it. And eventually it will pass, as most things do. Yeah. As someone who uh, thinks he's going to lose his job every two to three months, uh, <laughs> I <laughs> uh, I am all in favor of what you said a couple episodes ago, which is uh, to be interviewing and just kind of have have some feelers out there. Yeah, get EBI. things started. Always be interviewing. That's yeah. They made them a whole movie about it. Did they? No. Oh, why would you do that to me? Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, because now I have time to watch a movie. Uh, anyways, um, yeah. So um, we'll move on from like bad, uh, frustrating things. 
Uh, I'll touch. Oh, another frustrating thing. That <laughs> <laughs> Over, but not really. Um, uh, key mapping differences. It's 2022. If I want to switch between a Mac and a Windows on my same keyboard, the keyboard, the shortcuts to move between things between a Mac command button and a Windows Windows button shouldn't be that much different. They're the exact same really button that should just get mapped. Um, but that's not how it works. And it's really annoying because now when I go on Windows, I'm suddenly a lot slower because the same shortcut I used to move across the cursor now hands my window to the side of the window or screen or something, uh, which I had this issue a couple of days ago. I was like trying to screen share somebody uh, code window on my Windows machine. And I was like, all right, let me just get to the end of the line and boop, okay, oh no, my window's on a different screen now, this is not good. Um, so yeah, it's trying to fix that. I tried to look for it in Mac. There's options where you can like rebind certain keys. Okay. But in Windows, I couldn't find anything natively. I might have to like download an external app and do it. And at that point, I already lost interest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so until it bothers me again, um, I'm just gonna let it go, but I will be frustrated about it. I see. Yeah. Um, now for cool things. Okay. Cool things that are not tech. Uh, the new God of War game came out. Yeah, I've been getting ads for it. Yeah, I have not. Maybe oh. they know I'm just I'm low life. I can't afford a PlayStation, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, no PS Five for this guy. Uh, but it looks cool. I'm trying to like stay off the internet to avoid any like spoilers and such. But I'm gonna go see a friend this weekend, and he has a PS Five, and so I might get to like see some of the gameplay on a nice high res TV and such. So stoked for that. That sounded really cool. Um, and one of my friends who moved abroad a couple of years ago is back in town oh. um, for the foreseeable future. So part of the weekend will be to go see him. Nice. So I'm excited for that. Looking forward to that. Fun things. And now really tech. Um, the first one I learned very well, recently, learned about it yesterday. There's something called Fuse, which is like a file system on the cloud basically that apparently like machine learning data scientist people use because they need a lot of storage for their uh, work and uh, these third-party libraries or whatever lets you mount like a S3 drive or S3 bucket as a drive or other things but since they're not natively supported by the providers or the cloud companies they are hella slow from what I understand because yeah anytime you copy something under the hood it's probably just HTTP 1.1 making a bunch of requests um, Maybe someone can implement it in RPC. Maybe you do like a over HTTP 2.0, get that double speed. Holy smokes. Always smokes, yeah, get that, get that duplex. Duplex, that's the word I was thinking. Uh, but it was neat to know that these things sort of exist, uh, regardless of how slow or crappy they might be. It's just, it's nice, you know? Uh, maybe there's a way to like, I don't know, buffer it somehow over large areas or other things. And now it's it started like some sort of thought process in my brain. I'm like, okay, this is how storage can also work. So thinking about thinking about how to use some of these, so I'll be experimenting with those very soon. Um, and then finally, chaos testing. Everyone knows about chaos testing because Netflix has a blog. Uh, <laughs> came out with it. <laughs> but the reason I'm mentioning it is because I've been asked to look into it at work uh, for some of our services where writing a script that randomly goes and terminates a bunch of EC2 instances just sounds really cool. Uh, Cause I'll get to run it in prod, 
and uh, yeah, just see how stable or good our system is on a product that's currently under development. Um, so yeah, we're already like in that stage where we look at performance and say, all right, maybe our performance metrics and stuff are still jittery. And now I'll be trying to push our availability uh, to the limit, which I don't know if the team can shift their focus. But I'm a tool builder, so that's what I'll do. I'll build the tool. And it sounds really cool, so I'll be investigating what's the right pattern, how do people think about metrics for these kind of things, uh, do you like have like some sort of stage plan where before you do it, you send out a Slack notification to your team being like, I want to take down like three instances, uh, which might be fun in a normal day, but if there was a big SEV2 and things were down, the you may want to like keep your little monkey bot also shut down if it's already <laughs> investigating something. Uh -huh. uh, because they might be looking at a logs on a certain instance and boom, now the instance is gone, have fun. Um, so things like that, I'm going to start to like formulate a plan, design some architecture around it, see what the ins and outs conditions should be. That's when you tell them to just deal, get life cycle, life cycle hooks set up on their instances. It's true. So they don't lose the logs if they wanted them. It's true. Should have thought of that before I deleted your instance. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure most of them all go to CloudWatch anyways. Uh, because there our CloudWatch logs, I think within like a week or a month, it, it like hits terabytes very quickly. Uh, this application logs a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know if that we even generate that much storage, honestly. So the fact that it just generates that much logs is mildly concerning to me. But that's not part of my job right now. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> people who are writing this application have a lot more experience than me and are very smart. Uh, I see. So if they are logging something for that purpose while development, I'm sure they have good reasons or not. Because I saw some Slack thread a couple of weeks ago where they're like, why are we logging so much? So maybe not everyone knows, and that's okay, because I would like to make the comment that Amazon has a bunch of money, but given that they're firing people, maybe they don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's all my frustration. Maybe they, they just, this is my pro tip. Uh, as someone who can't pass an Amazon interview, I would just like to recommend that they change log level from info to <laughs> error. Wow. Problem solved. Everything's done. Yeah, or just find, replace logger and just get rid of it yeah replace it with nothing just a not even a new line just nothing log dot output slash dev slash null done easy easy yeah okay cool problem solved so that'll reduce the the amount of logs that are being sent in and then they've got nothing to complain about because you killed their instance it's not like they were reading logs it's true. So, yeah. <laughs> nothing to cry about. Uh, anyway, I do I do want to piggyback on that a little bit because I think it's funny. Um, the last two months or so, again, I work at a startup, mm -hmm. and the last two months have been a lot about, well, prior to the previous month, the focus was on uh, a lot of stability. So, like, the first six, eight months I was at the company, it was all about, like, the application needs to stop going down. Otherwise, people can't trust it. So that was basically my job. It was like, make everything stable. Uh, and so then once that was stable enough, it was like, okay, now we want to increase like the data quality, which meant people just threw like a ton of Argo jobs in there and scheduled them way too often. So then it was like, well, they don't, the Argo jobs don't have enough compute. They keep crashing with out-of-memory exceptions. So it was like, well, we should probably write better queries. 
And they was like, no, 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 we're just going to up the memory request and limit. Uh, and so now we've got these Argo jobs that request like 32 gigs of memory. Wow. And then the result of that is that they can't get scheduled, which means I need to increase the uh, number of nodes in the cluster and the instance size. And so I do that, and then those errors go away, which is good. So we've got a stable application with stable Argo jobs, but then uh, our RDS costs are too high, so I do a bunch of work to optimize those and bring those down. So those, it was successful. It was brought down like 60% or something. But now it's no longer the highest cost. It's our EC2 costs that are the highest. Yes, so now, <laughs> as of this past Monday, I got a message saying like, all right, hey, I noticed that the, our highest cost is EC2. What happened? And it's like, well, I brought down RDS costs. So now EC2 is highest. <laughs> it's not like they went up that much. Um, but if you look back like three months, they were much lower before. And so we got some savings plans. We want to fit things in there. I don't know much about savings plans, but I basically asked like, does it make more sense? Like, should I aim for uh, X number of instances running 24-7 or X times two number of instances running 12 hours a day, seven days a week? Like, is the spikiness good or bad? It's like, spikiness is bad. Flatten it out. 24-7 is better. It's like, okay, so that means like, spreading out the workloads a bunch. So I've been doing that, um, which has already over the last couple of days dropped the cost quite a bit. But it's it's funny because then I have to come back and be like, all right, everybody, like, what what can I delete of all this stuff? And they're like, well, we need to keep these. I'm like, well, if you need to run it somewhere, you have to pay to run it somewhere. I don't know what you want. You can't have both. Uh, and so then you gradually get to delete things and things get cleaned up. But it's the shifting priorities that I, I think is funny because the, um, they're like, oh, we need to log this. Oh, it's costing us too much to log it. Like that comes up at a startup as well. Uh, I've been asked to remove a bunch of our um, metrics that we don't actually track. And it's like, well, yeah, that's like we, if, I was told if we're not taking action on them, then we don't need to track them. I was like, well, sounds good to me, but we tracked, we started recording them with the intention of taking action. If, if we're not going to take action, I may as well disable all, all of the integration tests that we don't care about every time they fail as well. So like this, it's a cat and mouse game. But anyway, I just think it's, uh, Funny how it works in the real world, because a lot of times, uh, in theory, practice and theory are the same, but in practice it's not. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, I thought this was this was something that uh, my phone recommended to me today, and I was like, I'm not even gonna send it to you. I'm just gonna tell you about it on the podcast. Um, Let me just open the actual link so I can read you the title. It's from phys.org. Okay. As in like physics. Okay. And it says. Crows, able to understand the concept of recursion. What? <laughs> um, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, researchers at the blah, 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 some university have found via experimentation that crows are capable of understanding the concept of recursion. And I thought to myself, unlike Gan. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, I barely skimmed it. But they talked about, yeah, they taught monkeys... Uh, and they taught crows as well about the concept of recursion. I mean, who's paying these people and why? Who woke up one day and was like, you know what? If I can teach crows recursion, I can teach that one guy on the Dubai <laughs> shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that was the goal. Uh, so anyway, I just thought that was 
uh, interesting and hilarious. Uh, far better than most of the crap my phone's been recommending to me the last few days, which will tie into one of my do-betters. Um, secondly, the other interesting thing was a follow-up to last week. Last week we talked about server-side rendering, and I alluded to Remix, Next, uh, React, and Solid. This one is specific to Next, and I guess React, because Next is a wrapper around React, essentially. And I think everything I said, because I was not very specific, is still correct okay. in the episode, but I didn't get a chance to listen to the last episode in full. Uh, normally I play it back just to see what stupid crap I said before we come in and record this one, mm-hmm. uh, but it was 90 minutes, and it just came out two days ago. I didn't have time. <laughs> so anyway, I watched this video. Uh, it's from this guy named Theo. He's a founder of this company, Ping, and it's for... Uh, like connecting uh, video streams in OBS or something. Okay. Um, some sort of uh, video streaming service. And he's got a ton of videos about Remix and Next. And it's called How Next.js Really Works. It's half hour long. But the key point that I wanted to bring up was that you had mentioned the best practice that you heard about was having a rendered version specifically for uh, like web scrapers yes. and tools. So he talked about that in the video. Okay. Uh, and so the way that Next works in general is it's just about that first render of the application. It gives, like, instead of giving you a div tag with a bunch of JavaScript and having it re- uh, render for the first time client side, it pre renders the page, as you would think, um, but it also stuffs a blob of JSON in like a header file or something and just sends that down so that it can populate the page with the initial state. So there's this thing called get server side props where it talks to the server to get things from the database and then pre-renders that server side, sends it down and includes it in a JSON blob so that then the page can render like React normally does on the client side. And then it's just a normal React app from that point forward. But the thing about the fact that it's pre-rendering the app as valid HTML is that that is what a bot will receive. So if you disable disable JavaScript in your browser and you're working with a tool like Next, it will load that first page. And unless they've put a loading spinner or something on it, it'll just give you a validly rendered React app that after that can't do anything. Uh, Like it might do might do whatever CSS rules apply, like if you've got some display hide stuff. Um, but anything JavaScript related is just going to not work. But it'll give you a valid HTML page and it'll be a React app. If you have JavaScript enabled, your React app is at that point just a React app. So the only real difference is empty div, that's a root, with a ton of JavaScript for how to create the page versus a valid first render of what your React app would look like with server-side props passing in a JSON blob, which is still hilarious. And uh, and then it just works like a React app. But I wanted to mention it because I did look into it a little bit since we talked about it on the show. And uh, the bot thing that you mentioned came up in that video. So if anyone wants to learn more about uh, Next, it does seem kind of interesting. And Theo's How Next.js Really Works video. It's 28 minutes long, uh, pretty thorough. And... Uh, seem to give a good explanation. Lastly, I have a wholesome recommendation. I think I must have gotten into coffee after my, after the last time we recorded, because I bought the coffee machine in June for my girlfriend's birthday. Yes. 
uh, and we recorded before that, I think. Yes. And so uh, to catch everybody up, I bought a espresso machine uh, as a gift for my girlfriend in June. And as part of that, I went and just did a deep dive into a bunch of coffee-related things. And I came across this guy's YouTube channel, uh, James Hoffman. He won the World Barista Championship years ago. Uh, the funny thing about James Hoffman is that there's also another James Hoffman who founded uh, or co-founded um, uh, Renaissance Periodization, which is like a training, a strength training company that okay. also does diets and stuff. So every time I think James Hoffman, I think of him first, and then I have to remember that's actually a coffee guy. Anyway, his videos are great, super wholesome. But this one in particular, it's his most recent video at the time of recording this. And it was called uh, Deep Fried Coffee, A Horrifying Discovery. What? And he's this very posh, <laughs> very posh guy. He gives a very uh, professional delivery of the process by which he, instead of roasting coffee beans, uh, he has a, a deep fryer and he, like in oil, fries these beans, proceeds to like dab off all the oil, uh, hand grinds them, and then makes a pour through filter coffee out of it. I won't spoil how it goes, but that's what he makes. And then as a follow-up, he makes an espresso shot uh, as well. So if you're curious, that's one uh, video you can watch. It's, it's very fun. Any of his videos are, are quite good. Uh, he made one recently as well about uh, like package-free coffee pods. I forget exactly what it was called, but you know how like K-cups or whatever come in these little things and it's got a lot of garbage and people don't like that? Well, there's a new company that is trying a, a ball. Like it, you, it, it comes in a pail basically and the co it's a coffee ball that gets released down this little slide into your machine and then creates coffee from that. And uh, his reaction to watching the ball get released from the machine is pure and absolute joy. So if you want to, want to just see like a, a middle-aged man with great hair uh, have a very wholesome reaction, that's another good video. So James Hoffman gets my wholehearted, wholesome recommendation recommendation. Wow. Yeah. So. Twice the recommendation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I take my recommendation seriously, and sometimes it's a recommendation so nice I do it twice. Wow. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've uh, ever wanted to just sit down, but like you know, yeah, I'm gonna like watch a man deep fry coffee beans <laughs> uh, and then see see the result. Uh, but, for whoever is into that stuff, yeah, listen to this. <laughs> yeah, well, see, this is the thing. People talk about YouTube radicalizing the youth or whatever. Uh, no, you just got to watch the right stuff. I'm watching Mark Rober's Squirrel Olympics. I'm watching James Hoffman deep fry coffee beans. Uh, it's, it's all wholesome stuff. It's hard to get radicalized by just watching some guy make coffee. Wow. Yeah. Deep fried coffee. Deep fried coffee. Yeah. So you sent me as a potential topic for today 
because uh, we're three episodes into season two and we are completely out of content. Yes. Uh, which also is why we're taking next week off. Not because I'm out of the area and won't be unavailable. It's definitely because we are out of content and we need your suggestions. So you should email Gian. And how do they do that? Um, you have a it's do- in the podcast. It's notes. in the notes? It's in the notes. Okay. I've what? forgotten. I think it's like contact at do better dot something. I could look it up, but I won't. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. You're welcome. Uh, it is devshow at do-better.club. There you go. So, yeah, reach yeah. out to us. Um, yeah, the Tell next episode will just have Nathan uh, and a bunch of chickens that he'll have on the podcast. Yeah, hey, you know what? It's not against, not totally out of possibility that I could just record on my yeah. own. I have a nice, quiet conversation. None of these, none of this talk about actual content. I could just talk about Rocket League, the things that the things that people care about. Yeah, it could just be called Thoughts with Nathan. Thoughts. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's part. It's a new thing in t- season two. Well, yeah, uh, Tim Ferriss used to do these these things called the between episodes. They were like seven minute, seven ten minute episodes when he didn't have enough content for a full episode, but he still wanted to put out something. Uh. Uh, so we <laughs> just be that. Yeah. Just thoughts with Nathan. It's our version of the between episodes. Uh, yeah, but do the same dev show. It's like uh, episode two dot two dot one. Wow. It's a minor version bump. I'm I'm on I'm all for this. I would actually listen to that. Okay. You right. just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could be you and your brother. It could be you and the chickens. It could be your brother and mom and the chickens. <laughs> Could be all of us, yeah. yeah. You don't know. Sit in the room, and then you can ask them tech things and see just their reaction. Oh, that'd be that'd interesting. Be a fun episode. Flip the script, yeah. Yeah, just be like, what we're, do you? We're think tired of, of we're tired of explaining things. I'm yeah. just gonna ask people to explain them to me. Yeah. What is microservices? And you ask them. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a good idea. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> yes. uh, but for real, you did send me some a link to what are they called structural, structural design design patterns right so yeah your little um your little group of dorks reading textbooks mm-hmm. and talking about them uh this led you to think about this yeah and yeah and i figured you know object-oriented programming is uh something you more or less just always have back in in the back of your head and then you'll program something and then you'll write code in a certain way being like this looks clean and extensible and such and then you reread some of these patterns, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is how I structure the code. Uh, turns out someone thought about this before and how code has been written for all this time. Yeah, it is fun. If you go back through like the history of programming and these things being discovered, it's like this is how you learn if you get an internship or you're like a junior dev. Mm-hmm. You just see code being written. You're like, oh, yeah, this is just how we write code. But these things had to be discovered, like the famous go-to considered harmful. Like people had to come across patterns that work and don't work and talk about them and argue and then try them. And you end up with stuff like what we'll talk about today, which are tried and true, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. For for all I know, all of these I've seen somewhere and uh, they they just work, you know, they're it's just classifying what worked for most people. Right. I'm sure I've seen hybrids of these patterns also mixed together Sure. Uh, in a singular code base, but yeah. just do it. So what's the first one? 
first one is the adapter pattern, which you can't infer anything about it from the name. Right. Like, if you heard adapter pattern, what would you think? Yeah, so picture an adapter in your head for mm -hmm. anything. That's what you do with code. Yeah. And that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's an adapter. <laughs> yeah, it's an adapter. You just matter, you know? Oh, uh, yes. But in other people's head, it's a pattern. It's a pattern for basically just trying to combine... It's like two interfaces that don't necessarily know how to talk to each other, so you just write an adapter. Imagine you had this like extremely slow API you were interacting with, uh, and one day they're like, you know what, we only accept JSON, and then a new service comes, and they're like, we're so much faster because we only accept YAML. <laughs> and now you're not going to change your base class from doing all of this work. Uh, going to this API in JSON. So you write a little adapter uh, that does everything your other class does, except now it takes the JSON, turns into YAML, and talks to this other service. And that's probably an example of adapter pattern. Um, a lot of these are harder to explain unless you actually have like a file in front of you with the objects and the patterns. Um, but yeah, some yeah. use cases. Yeah, like, because uh, I'm thinking of things like maybe you have a uh, some sort of list-like structure. You've got something else that consumes list-like structures, but it makes one different assumption. You might be like, okay, well, I'll make an adapter that when it tries to call, like, first, but it's expecting it to be called uh, S or something. Like, I don't know, uh, some random letter. It's like it's trying to it's, – it's making an expectation, an assumption that doesn't match. You're like, these basically do the same thing. I just need to change this slightly so that they'll talk to each other and use the same interface, like you said. Uh, that tends to be where you would call it an adapter versus any of the other patterns that we're going to talk about that yeah. sit between two things. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, it's probably the very uh, or like very straightforward one. So we'll just move past that. Yeah, I'm thinking, here's a better example. Instead of like, uh, if you had a list-like thing and one said like peak and one said like look or like top but didn't actually return it. Like they did the same thing but you just need to rename it. You're like, it is, you guys both know what you're talking about. Let me just adapt these for one another. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and if you have any questions about this, YouTube it. Um, or I learned that Penny Anchor has questions people ask on your podcast. There's like a little discussion thing that's powered by Spotify. I see. Um, so go type things there. We, sure, we if you want. Take a look. Yeah, I don't know where to find that. Maybe get a look. I, I probably will. Okay. Because uh, I thought it was cool. If they don't <laughs> send a notification, I probably won't. Okay. But um, enough of those and then we'll know. Sure. I'll also monitor any public tweets made up to NW Calvink. So <laughs> let's know. Uh, next one is called a bridge. So this one, when I was skimming these design patterns, mm -hmm. this one I, I was like, what the heck is a bridge? I know what an adapter is. But then I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's as you said, this is just how you write code. So the example they give in the article that you sent to me or the ebook, whatever it is, uh, it's like suppose that we had shapes and colors and we were going to like compose them together. Uh, you can build two separate trees or dependencies, graphs, or whatever you want to call them separately. Uh, 
and then join them with a bridge so that instead of having like blue square red square blue and red all in the same messy like uh data structure or whatever you've got like a separately managed thing of colors and a separately managed thing of shapes and then you're just like yeah i'm just gonna make a bridge that is the uh method or attribute called contains and then my square contains red or my square contains blue and again it's just how you write code. <laughs> but you know, to some people it might not be clear. I have definitely like seen where it'd be like a matrix of classes coming out. Right. You know, it'll be what's a what's a good like a notification one where it might be like, um, I don't know, email outlook, email gmail or something mm-hmm. instead of someone being like this is the email class, this is the providers class and let's merge them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For people who like to write a lot of code, they might hate bridge pattern. Um, <laughs> managers in the 90s hate this pattern mm-hmm. because it means their developers aren't writing a lot of code. Right. And everyone mm-hmm. knows the more lines you write, the better developer you are. Yeah, more commits and more lines of code. Uh, the There's a reason why senior developers delete so much code, and it's because they don't know what they're doing. Yep. If they did, they wouldn't be called seniors. And really, at that point, they're just, they're like pension coders. They they deleted the code because they forgot what it did. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. And so, yeah, never be a senior dev. Uh, and if you are, you just, you're too old. Go home. Yeah. yeah. What are you, 28 now? Stop. Oh, yeah. 28 and meta? Go home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you just, you divide, divide the thing. Another example I liked in the article was basically they're like, Hey, um, what if instead of one big app code base that you then like ran on different OS, uh, you had break broken out the front end and the back end of it, the GUI and the lo- business logic in the abstraction implementation, and then each implementation could have different parameters based on if it's for Linux or Windows or Mac, but the front end can look the same. And I was just like, oh, so you're talking about like putting the visual layer and the data layer separately. <laughs> this is crazy. And then bridging them with the API. Whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah. But apparently you can do that in, mm-hmm. um, but like I get that, like concepts like these might not be obvious for someone who's just only looked at classes, right? You know about APIs, you know about services interacting. You have the bigger context to be yeah. like, yeah, that's this, just how you bridge. This is part of the reason right. why I recorded so many YouTube videos when I did was because I knew it was stuff that as I learned it, I'd be the best at explaining it because I still remembered not knowing it. Like I made a few videos in a series about JavaScript promises. And I was like, I'm, this is the best time for me to make these videos because I remember three weeks ago when I was less confident or didn't understand something about them. And then I could make a video that's like, okay, I know what you feel like right now because you, I also didn't understand them very recently. And so this is what I've learned. And right now I'm sitting here trying to imagine not understanding how a bridge pattern works. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you, I can't comprehend uh, what, what sort of question you would have or like with the adapter. I'm like, it does what it says. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it does the thing. Well, it does make me think of, because I don't know if this counts as a... Uh, bridge or not because it just sounds like a pointer or something but a uh, what it made me think of was um, one to many many to many uh, like cross-ref type tables in relational databases 
where it's just like the way of connecting data structures in a dynamic way. We can say like, I'm gonna put this table between these two other tables and by referencing them in this one table, we can do interesting things with how we combine the data from these two different tables without having to just have endless numbers. Like you basically say like a matrix of rows representing every possible combination of these tables. That sounds fun. Imagine every time you had to uh, note down someone's address, you reduplicated the city, the postal code, and everything in your database over and over and over and over What is this, a document database or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> JSON and everything. Uh, but yeah, that would be the bridge pattern where it bridges. Things. Cool. It's so convenient that the names sort of work well with the pattern that they're trying to imply. Right. Yeah. Wild. Which brings us to com composite, composite, with, depending on which part of the world you're in, uh, or composite, as I like to call it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, it's apparently a tree. It's apparently anything that works in a tree format, you can add to it. And I love that the article says, the problem with this is, it only makes sense when the core model of your app can be a tree. <laughs> if not, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so if, if your entire company is based strictly on a directional non-cyclic graph, yes. you're like, oh, cool, composite. Composite, yeah. And you just look at each other, composite. <laughs> and then there's that one guy, Compositi. CTC. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing to say about this. It sounds like a tree. It's a tree, yeah. It's a thing and within a thing within a thing, uh, like a like, chart. Like something I could explain to a crow, but not to you. No. Oh. Um, yeah, because I would fight against it, and crows not going to do anything. Right. And also, crows have empathy. That That is research, so right. they will probably be more understanding. Okay. Um, but yeah. So quick, quick explanation maybe of a tree. Yeah, it just for those for those at home, the, for those in the back. For those in the back, any object that looks like a tree. So, uh, <laughs> for example, in our chart, a person class uh, will have a job title, and for people who report to them, uh, that could have other people who report to them and have a job title, and other people, and other people, and other people, uh, and yeah, that's how an organization chart looks like. Or the example this article gives is you have a big box and within that box there could be items or other boxes and those other boxes will have items or other boxes and you just keep going down until it's just item left at the very bottom and no more boxes. Right. And in this example, uh, anything that's not a box is a leaf. Yes. I see. Yes. Uh, this article is yeah. amazing. It's so funny. Yeah, and they had this whole recursion example where like one of the people goes talk to them and it's like, hey, what's your price? It's like, hold on. And then it goes ask its child and then they ask their child until go to the down and pop right back up. It sounds like a weird, frustrating concept. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. I never learned about it <laughs> and I refuse to learn about it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anything that's not, it's a leaf. So that way you can, I guess, just show data represent a tree-like structure in a tree it's called a composite pattern composite hmm. i've never heard of this but i've read a lot about trees because i enjoy them they're a recursive data structure wow yeah your favorite being tried no dude <laughs> such that i'm so frustrated by by tries just because of my well simple interview <laughs> 
Forever uh, will you. Yeah, I mean, that was a quick aside. That was the most useful series of interviews and also the most frustrating that I think I've ever had as a like software dev type of interview because the algorithms part was build a prefix tree, which is often called a try, uh, from scratch with no real reason to do so. And like, this is incredibly stupid. No, like one, I don't sit around and just build trees very often, but yeah, I can build a basic tree if you want. But like, why would I build a prefix tree of all, that's so specific. Uh, no, I don't think about how to build a prefix tree. I would just Google like, eh, prefix tree library or something, <laughs> or like pie tree and see if they had one. Um, but the other part that was super useful was they did a solutions architect type of interview because it was like four interviews. And that part made me have a ton more context on just like, these are things I don't know and I actually want to know. And that's what led me to get the solutions architect certif uh, certification and like really dig into that area because it was just like, uh, imp if imposter syndrome is not justified, this was the justified version of nice. imposter syndrome. Nice. I was like, ooh, this was not, this interview should, is not one I should have ever had. Uh, where's the other one? I was like, who cares about stupid prefix trees? I'm not going to build it myself. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things where like, if I really want, I can do it. I've done it before. But I don't understand the point of doing it. I can barely type my own name with people watching me. So let alone like build a <laughs> prefix tree. <laughs> well, instead of thinking of it as a tree, do you try thinking of it as a bunch of linklets? <laughs> a list of linklets. <laughs> uh, that's a throwback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't think of it like yeah. that. Interviews make people say and do stupid things. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I was like building, uh, or I was just represent I had a list and I was like oh this could be a double-ended queue to the to which I was just like yeah I guess I mean every list can be a double-ended queue to also be a stack it could also be anything it's an array depending on where you stuff the data and where you remove it it's a different object uh, where yeah it was not fun it was not fun anyways the next one and the one perhaps everyone who's ever typed even a line of python or java has used Decorator, where they also mention it is also known as a wrapper pattern, uh, which people write all the time. Yeah, so decorators, at least syntactically, seem very special. Uh, but all they're really doing is receiving the function that they're decorating and then doing something before and yeah. then passing whatever it returns into that function. So it's it's just composition with a, a cool syntax. Yes. Uh, but it's very useful. Um, I probably the most useful thing, arguably, that I ever wrote in code was a decorator at not my current job because I don't write code at this job apparently. Yeah, uh, my, expert, yeah. yeah well, no, we don't Sorry, use YAML. Argo. Our, it's, it's a lot of Argo and um, Pulumi. Uh, uh, but yeah, at my previous job, um, we had in a five, six-year-old Django code base and we wanted to add audit logging to it. And fortunately, m essentially every endpoint that was a basic CRUD endpoint inherited from the same uh, generic Django base class. And then everything that was special uh, didn't, or if at least it had special cases. And so I made a, uh, a cl 
class, first of all. I made it. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, this is. I was thinking through. I haven't had to think about this in a while. But I made a class that uh, performed all the actions necessary to do the audit logging. So it made. But it made that class made a bunch of assumptions about the methods that were available, what arguments they were passed and the fact that it was a basic CRUD operation. There weren't side effects that you needed to worry about or related objects or anything. It was like RESTful, you give me an updated version of this object uh, to a put endpoint. I'm going to take that, diff it, return the updated version, and I'm going to audit log who did it and the diff, uh, the before and after. And so it had a bunch of assumptions in it. And because it had a bunch of assumptions, I could then just take that class make it into a little decorator, and then slap that decorator onto any of these CRUD endpoints. And with one line of code, we have full post, put, delete, create, whatever, endpoint uh, audit logging. And it was kind of like magical yeah. once it actually happened. I was like, oh, this is amazing. People like make a ticket. Like, oh yeah, add audit logging to these endpoints. And it'd be like, here's my PR. It's three lines of code. And then they look and they're like, oh, wow, yes, uh, this is a ton of audit logging. This is great. And then the special cases, it was like, okay, create a separate class that has none of the assumptions. And they you have to tell them what endpoint they're on. So like the other one would just make assumptions. It knew what endpoint it was on, or sorry, what method it was using. This other one, it was like, all right, you're going to pa- tell it this is a post endpoint. And these are the related objects. And then it could look into that class and introspect and then say like, okay, what are the related objects that you gave me? How can I get those objects through the ORM? And then try to diff them that way. So there was like a lot more nastiness on that side. But the decorator part, because you're able to make all these assumptions, it was like, I know what function I'm on. I know what it returns. And because you know those things, you can decorate it. It's very great. Very neat. Yes. But yes, syntactically convenient because you don't want to have to take all of your methods and wrap them in a new function uh, where you've got like a def underscore get to wrap your get function. <laughs> no. Or one of my favorite was that I saw at one of the com- or my first com- second company right? uh, was serve add, which called really underscore serve add. Oof. Uh, which yeah. was just so great. I never understood the point of the first one. Yeah, so if you've never seen a Python decorator, though, I don't know much about the Java ones. Maybe they look the same. Pretty much the same, yeah. Yeah, you've got, like, your uh, function definition, and then above it, you'll have, I think it's an at symbol. It's been a while now. Uh, At symbol, which after that you put the name of the function that you're using to decorate. Passing any arguments you need to pass in if your decorator supports that. And then that will be called before the... Uh, function that it's decorating, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly. And then it's in that order from the call stack up. So if like you decorate your decorator, it gets called, then the one gets called that you decorated below, and then the function that you're decorating at the bottom. Because it just looks like a... It's it, it The composition order is consistent, as if you were to just call them I thought it was the other way. I thought decorators unfolded from bottom to top, and then the function got called. Maybe. I have to. I have to hop into a REPL. Yeah. And the see. cool thing is, yeah, you can wrap decorators on other decorators. I'm just gonna call them wrappers because you wrap them. 
Yeah. You know? One is the functionality, one is how it looks. Yeah. It's a stupid distinction. But yeah, yeah. it's a wrapper and it wraps and you just keep wrapping until the day you die. Or your program exits, either or the gym's closer. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just big fan. I also like that the first example I think of as decorator is Russian nesting dolls, and that's the one they have. I see. Uh, my phone's frozen. Uh, but yeah, decorator problems. Uh, I guess the, one of the problems is now you have to like think about all the decorators, and if you're trying to debug, now you have to like go through each one. To be like, yeah, did, did we mess this up here? Did we mess this up in the other wrapper? Maybe one decorator calling the other one isn't doing its job. Uh, but that bad thing only happens when you're wrapping something and now you're doing like something funky with the data before you send it up to another wrapper. Because um, you might have something that, you know, wraps around a function and says, anytime you're about to send JSON to an endpoint, turn into YAML. And then you have another wrapper on top that is supposed to take the JSON and log it, but now it has the YAML, and now it's sad. Right. Yeah, if you're doing modifications, like a, something that just takes the input, provide, like creates a side effect, and then passes that uh, input straight along, that's probably safe, not, no concerns there. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, and maybe it sends out a signal or whatever, and then just takes the input and passes that input along, but in the as it's executing it's just like hey i got this thing that happened and then something might be listening to it yeah that would be a, a safe way of doing it but yeah really it's just it's just wrapping functions around functions so that functions can stay simple and you can reuse the other functions yeah stuff is special that's great it's especially great it's it is especially great i take it all back <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing special but it's really special yeah uh and then we talk about a facade Right, this one was strange. Uh, I skimmed it. <laughs> you will pay for your insolence then. Uh, it just said, what, a simpler version of an inf interface? Sort of, yeah. It, it's mostly talking about how you write something that hides a bunch of functionality behind it. So your front, or one of the objects in front might just be like, um, get to, I don't know, get, cut, like, price of something uh, but maybe the class it's calling now this is an inter or what is this called it's a facade class which goes and now talks to a whole bunch of classes and it's like all right how much inventory do we have what is this what is that calculates everything and then turns it back so that you're just like oh this is how much one thing costs or maybe there's like other sorts of functionalities you need to do maybe you need to talk to a bunch of microservices i don't know uh, but that's what it seemed like it was basically like any class that reads a bunch of complex classes and simplifies the functionality to the consumer. I see. Facade. GraphQL is just a facade. <laughs> Everything really is, if you think about it at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm not in there flicking transistors and seeing what's going on. It's all a facade. It's true. Or the example they give here is a video converter. You might just like call a class and be like, all right, convert the video, this is the source, this is the whatever and it goes in it mixes the audio it changes the codec it does a bunch of things and then writes to the disk uh, maybe buffers it who knows who knows the compressions it might be doing yeah if you want to learn more about that kind of sort of not really search youtube for programmers are also human he made a video oh. about ffmpeg uh, and i didn't understand most of it because i've never worked directly with ffmpeg and uh 
didn't understand most of the jokes, but it's a great channel, so recommend. I thought it was pronounced FF Mapag. Uh, well, you also said Compasite or whatever, so who knows? Um, that's true. <laughs> um, and uh, the next one, which gave me mild like flashbacks, uh, is called Flyweight, and it reminded me of Flyway, a uh, database migration tool we were using for a project we worked <laughs> on together. Uh, <laughs> okay, so explain flyweight. I skimmed it again. And uh, I flyweight, it here says, also known as cache, where the whole point of it is anything that could be shared amongst a bunch of objects uh, is shared. Oh, right. This was, yeah, um, like not duplicating all of the, all the da uh, data in your objects and sharing them somewhere. Exactly, yeah. Right. yeah. So if you were, I don't know, rendering a bunch of grass and you have a picture of a single grass, maybe instead of creating a million copies of that in your memory, everything reads from this one JPEG you have. Or PNG if it's a high-res game. Um, yeah, and then, which again, at, by now, you look at something like that and you're like, that's just how you code. Uh, why would you duplicate something in the memory over and over? But then remember, you might also be one of those people who takes a giant string from an API and passes it along to a bunch of objects instead of just a pointer to it. Uh, so, you know, don't judge. You might just be someone who writes JavaScript. That's true. And you don't know that this is a thing. Yeah. The past by reference exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anytime you want, here's a copy. Yeah. 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 Now they do, that's the problem with JavaScript is that uh, functions and objects are passed by reference, but uh, strings are primitives that are passed by value, and so yeah, it's uh, it's the whole thing. You stringify. You take you take an object that you got received by reference. You take a JSON stringify version of it and pass that along. It's the whole thing. You've lost the reference. Wow. It's now the it's now the value itself. So. Yeah, there's a, going back to something I talked about in a previous episode with the Primogen, one of his videos uh, about speeding up JavaScript, I think it was called like uh, making TypeScript blazingly fast, okay. as you might expect. Uh, he compared looping over something and sharing objects in a heap um, and just modifying the keys and then returning them versus uh, creating new objects every time. And the comparison with uh, the speed over the course of 15 seconds, 30 seconds, I don't remember. A lot of time was spent in garbage collection, uh, as you might expect, from throwing away all these objects and creating new closures and things, uh, which hurts me uh, physically that that is such a uh, performance hit because I like closures and functional programming type of things and like reducing all that. But uh, seeing the actual effects of it i'm like oof oh. it just does this does make me not it's been a weird couple of months i went from like not really worrying about any of this because it doesn't apply to any of my job ever to being like oh i could write such faster javascript to being like why do we still write anything in python at my company why don't we write it and go to being like wait a minute we don't need to be fast but like this is so slow and i remember back to my first job when one of the guys on my team was complaining about how our JSON serialization in Ruby was so slow compared to Python that it was the primary bottleneck for our system and that our API could be like 
10, 20, 30x faster if we just replaced the serialization that J that Ruby was doing with JSON. I don't know if that was true, or with, with Python serialization. I don't know if that was true, but it makes me think about how much faster uh, Go or something that wasn't using JSON in general might have been. It's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. I'm, I'm enjoying the shift from uh, different areas of the stack, so to speak. So what we need to do is start a petition or we market our jobs or we write something that takes any Python-based API you have that might generate a swagger or something and we generate a Go version of it, especially if it talks with JSON. And then we replace that and now people's servers are like 100x fast. Blazingly fast. Yeah. And uh, some sounds like a company where you might be storing entire JSONs uh, in your database, <laughs> <laughs> you could improve the performance <laughs> a whole lot uh -huh. by just searching to go. Uh, language that hates ORMs, uh, interacting yeah. with databases, especially. You know what? It might actually love a document-based database. <laughs> Object-oriented is what Go hates. So, right. yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I think we, uh, maybe a future episode should be about... Um, like moving through different parts of the stack because like there's a lot of different areas there's the focus on things like what we're talking about today with the more language level or like code style level things there's like um, the stylistic parts of contributing to a team and making sure things are consistent there's front-end back-end performance concerns versus like uh, dev experience concerns of writing things like that's the whole pitch of Ruby it's like oh, it's like writing English language. It's like yeah, but I don't want, I don't want if else unless in my code. Thank you very much. And then there's things like uh, Go that's like we allow you to do it one way except for assignment, which we accidentally let you do two ways. We're sorry about that, uh, but it goes fast. And then there's Rust, which is like if you can figure out how to write this program, it will work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it will be very speedy. Uh, and the infrastructure side, the um, more like monitoring side, like there's a lot of parts and I've been trying to move through it to stay interested in my career. I wonder so. how long it takes for us to just go back to being like, do you, have you guys heard about assembly? Right. It's blazingly fast. <laughs> <laughs> Even C uses it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your uh, um, your math libraries in Python that you import so that they're faster so you can run your machine learning. It's yeah. it's kicking out to C, and you know what C's kicking out to? <laughs> Assembly. Yeah. I actually learned that apparently in NumPy, a lot a lot of like their sum and other functions they write is actually like somehow talking like bypassing the C level because that's what Python does, and they're like, no, we gotta be faster. So they're just somehow directly directly doing assembly execution and such. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's just a NumPy library just soldered onto the tensor f chips that Google makes. Mm. It's like this section here, this is the NumPy section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've bridged the gap here. It's a physical, uh, a physical codif codification of the NumPy library. Um, we update it with every minor patch. Yeah, buy our new hardware. Buy it now. Buy it now. Buy everything now, honestly, so. <laughs> if you have the money. <laughs> yeah, if you have money and a job still. Uh, but yeah, that's flyweight, you know.
if something's being duplicated, don't. Yeah, just don't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. keep it one way and just Sheesh. make sure it's read-only so that multiple things aren't reading while something's modifying it. That's bad. I think I have a, a blog post called something like... It was about pass by reference versus value. Uh -huh. So if you don't understand flyweight and the jokes we were making about reference versus value... Uh, you can read the blog nwcalvank.dev. Tell your friends. Yeah. Uh, it will. It's it's something like um, uh, pass by reference versus value. Once you get it, you get it. Because like I don't remember and I how I could make my brain not understand that concept. It's so obvious. But the idea of pointers at one time was unclear to me. So it's unclear to you. Uh, maybe read the blog. Yeah. Because the more you look into it, the more you realize. <laughs> Pointers should just be taken care of, and I shouldn't have to keep track of them because it's hard, and I don't want to do it. So, but it's so cool that that exists. Uh, and I wouldn't, if I'm writing something for performance, I would take a, take more attention to it. But just hate it. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> if I did, I'd be writing Rust, which I'm not. <laughs> uh, and the final pattern we have is a proxy, which sounds like the name where you provide a substitute or a placeholder for another object where proxy controls access to the original object allowing you to perform something either before or after the request gets through to the original object. So I guess kind of a bouncer at a club. I suppose. Yeah. And uh, this is not, we're not talking about forward reverse proxy. This encompasses both of those. Because you could do either before or after. Wow. They're both proxies at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, if you're like, hey, this original object is just not not doing it, I'm going to throw some proxy in front. Uh, I don't want anyone talking to my main person, so I'm going to have the proxy. Like, uh, I guess you would have a proxy object that can either fetch data from a database or the cache. Yeah. Redis, Redis always, 100 plays. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just... Go talk to it instead of letting everyone talk to your database. You're like, no, no, no. I'll decide if you're going to get data from the direct database or from the cache. Or I just tell you, no, go home. No data for you. You didn't pass the auth declarator. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. Look at that. Ties it all together. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, who knows? You might, as part of proxy, have adapter somewhere in there, too. You know? I mean, you at, once you get advanced enough, you could mix... Mix and match all of these, <laughs> uh, which will, probably would happen in the real world. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, proxy is exactly what it sounds like. So I guess the only one that doesn't do what it sounds like is flyweight, because that sounds stupid. Uh, <laughs> just call it the cache pattern. <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, and the composite. Right, which is just a tree. Which is just a tree. <laughs> The tree pattern it's a would be structure. so much more clearer. Yeah. Why yeah. did why did they rename it? It doesn't make sense. I don't know. Maybe the person writing the book was just like, nah, too dumb. We gotta make make it like sound relatively smart, but obvious, but not so obvious for some. And then they printed it. And this is a real old article. I see. Or the site looks sort of new, but the content is old. Okay. Yeah. I also found this like YouTube video of some guy. He explains the differences between them uh, for like twenty-seven minutes. But while he's talking about things, he'll just be like, "Oh no, 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 maybe not this." And you're like, "Maybe prepare for the video before oh. you start making it." Unlike this podcast where we don't. Right. Uh, but then again, we're not a YouTube video, are we? 
No. Those days are behind us. Yeah, that was too difficult. That was too difficult. Yeah. I've gotten feedback that we look great in it, though. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, not from biased sources. Not from biased sources. Not from a source that likes both of us already. <laughs> uh, it's a yeah, very reliable third party. Yeah. Um, yeah, who also happens. Not that it influences their decision. Uh, but yeah, they said we look great. Oh, well, excellent. Okay. Uh, well... I suppose that we are somewhat co-located now. Uh, maybe it's easier to do audio with a, a, having two tracks. This was the problem. You would send it to me, and either your video or the the video I had or the audio you had was slightly slower, slightly faster, which meant that every I had to jump ahead every five to ten minutes and reset the audio because the video and audio of you would get out of sync. Oh, I see. Infuriating. So, I yeah, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore for yeah. the, the th- like, three seconds that someone watches the video before they go, oh, I'm not watching this yeah. stupid crap. Uh, so that's why we go audio only. Yeah. That way people, 100 listens on straight cash, homie. Wow. Crazy. So we need to take more breaks is what I'm understanding because yes. we took a big break. That one got a bunch of plays. So that's why we're taking next week off. Yeah. Or maybe, unless I record with the chickens. We don't know. That's, we don't know. Uh, he is an honorary guest on the show who's been appearing on each episode. So maybe if Nathan wants to put one out, I would so, <laughs> so be interested in it. Uh. Yeah, well, I'll have time on, uh, on one of the days. Um, I'll probably just be hanging around. No plans for the visit. Yeah, we could really stress test clean feed. We could do it over audio. <laughs> My life isn't all that interesting, so I'll have time probably, mm. uh, depending on the day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, is that, is that everything for structural design patterns? I think so. If you can think of other structural design patterns, hit us up. Uh, maybe you're the one who wrote the book forever ago and you're a fan of the show. Hit us up. Yeah, maybe. It's uh, a very thin Venn, diadri- Venn diagram. But. <laughs> yeah, Venn diagram. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I would just really like to know if the anchor question tab works. So if someone could start a discussion there, that'd be great. Because uh, I am not doing it. But if you click on an episode, there's a little community tab and communities can ask questions. Okay, so I'll have to actually integrate it, I think. Uh, Q&A. Ask your listeners a question or post a statement, I guess. Uh, All right, and it'll show up on Spotify. Well, okay. Fair enough. Okay. All right, we'll give it a shot. Depending on how much of our traffic comes from Spotify. I guess all this data is from Spotify, too. Oh, no. 26% of our listeners are from Spotify. There you go. So more than a quarter. That's that's at least like one or two people per episode. Yeah, so... Crazy. Please follow this order and, uh, yeah... Ask us a question. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Joe Rogan for getting everybody listening to podcasts on Spotify. Yeah. I have no data to agree or deny with that statement, so yes. Yeah. I mean, they didn't pay him a million, a hundred million dollars for nothing. Did they? You don't know? I don't know any of Yeah. This. No, a couple years ago, uh, Joe used to put everything on YouTube, uh, and then Spotify paid him a hundred million dollars to go exclusive on Spotify. Yeah. Spotify, uh, come to us. We'll, we'll be exclusive. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Joe Rogan a couple years ago was worth $100 million. Uh, Twitter in 2022 
is worth 44 billion and that is 11 star wars from like six years ago or whatever eight years ago and 10 years ago whenever disney bought star wars it was only for four billion Wow. and i'm pretty sure instagram was bought for like two billion yeah whatsapp was one crazy what are you doing with your life listener why haven't you been bought yeah by any by anyone for anything yeah and the way Elon's going to make all that money back is by farming all the Twitter people that he's doing. So yeah, instant saving, in, instant savings. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing at my work too, but we don't have enough people at the company to let go. Oh. So I have to just like kill servers, yes. like less infrastructure to save money. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing. A lot of those servers are more important than the personnel at the company. So if you just take out the servers, mm-hmm. it's chaos testing. Right. Or reliability engineering is what I heard is a good way of saying it these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's PC compliant. Oh, I started liking uh, um, platform engineering. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're like DevOps. It's now called platform engineering. I'm like, just stop rebranding every two years. <laughs> this doesn't need to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, okay. Well, that's that. What did you do better? Oh, um, so one of the things I said that I would do better, that I want to do better, is continue, you know, refreshing my, my skills, getting those chops up. Um, right. Are you going to say anything about how your interviews are going or no? I'm thinking about it. I probably will just do a summary thing because I've really only taken one interview so far okay. and I was not impressed. Right. Uh, because I'm, I'm like not actively hunting, but I'm kind of actively at least passively listening you're proactively ha- hunting exactly in case in yeah in case yeah. yeah always be always be interviewing as as we said earlier on right um, stick with it yeah uh, but yeah so one of the things i started doing was like did a little bit more like lead code stuff immediately hated it <laughs> didn't even take me like 20 minutes i looked at it and i was like i hate this <laughs> i don't know why i'm doing it uh-huh. uh, and it's just the fact that most of those things just you just need to know the pattern and that's it. It has nothing to do really with any of your aptitude yeah. or how you think about the data structure or no. anything. No. It's just, oh, this is how you solve this. It's like, cool. Mm-hmm. These are all solved problems that somehow people love to see you solve in an interview where you, at any job, there, I can't think of a job where you like go in and like your part of your backlog is implement to some. Uh, for the customer, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, unless you work in lead code and you need to. No, that's uh, that's um, user-driven content. Yes. Yeah, so they they don't even have to know how to do it at lead code. Oh wow. Yeah. Right. Someone just submits the problem and this lead. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so things like that. Uh, I started doing a little bit. Hated it. I was like, I don't want to do this. So I started looking at other things like the RPC and stuff that I was still interested in. Yep. Uh, I didn't create a proof of concept yet, uh, but I yeah, looked over it, got a little bit more information. I was like, yeah, this is this is still kind of cool. I I might build that uh, application of clicking buttons, but now instead of doing a UI thing, I might make it like a um, uh, client server CLI of sorts. Uh, so that it's the same thing on CLI. You're like, how do you want to increment the number? And it uses the RPC protocol to talk to the server, mm-hmm. updates the database with the count, retrieves it. Um, and, then I might like start looking into like event-based structure on like maybe now, now because we're doing RPC, I might start doing asynchronous instead of just everything coming back right away with listeners and such. 
still looking into that, uh, but not nothing that I've been built there because of the interviews and the sad thing that I always still have a nine to five job, um, which requires a decent amount of my attention every once in a while. Uh, so yeah, doing that, and then I did better on the book club. I actually went out, socialized, and the person who introduced me to the book club was actually like 20 minutes late. So I had to go in and talk to a bunch of people without the person who introduced me to those people, uh -huh. which I thought was a, was a great thing on my part. Uh, yeah, like the most humblest I know I am, but <laughs> it was so great because uh, those people were wholesome software bros and they were very self-aware about it. They're like, yeah, we're just a bunch of software bros, man. Uh, so always love those those kind of kind of folks, uh, and that's where I chatted about all of these things, and that we've talked about in this episode, and uh, that's all I did on the did better, uh, because turns out talking to recruiters and uh, trying to filter through jobs is still a bit of a tedious process because you'll get people saying, "Do you want to like be a Ruby on Rails full stack developer?" I'm like, "Where in my profile?" Yeah. Did you see anything referring to that? <laughs> I know exactly I have one line in my entire resume in LinkedIn that's about Ruby, and that's it. Uh, so I don't know why they think I'll be a senior Ruby on Rails engineer willingly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that didn't please me very much. Uh, but yeah, looking still looking through that. So for doing better, I'm gonna continue doing the application. I'm gonna bring back the waking up. Uh, I've been doing this thing where I wake up around like eight-ish now for most days. Okay. Um, morning gym has disappeared. I just wake up eight-ish, maybe go around in the middle of the day for a little break, uh, which is usually ends up being like two. So by the time I finish my workouts, I'm like, oh, work day is over. I guess I'll eat. Now I'm eating dinner at four. It's just all weird uh, time-wise. Okay. So I'm going to try to fix that, bring some order back into my life so that when I go on vacation, that order gets messed up again. Right. And I can come back and do that. And I'm saying this because I probably won't if I don't. I'm going to go buy some vitamin D tablets because I ordered them online and they didn't come. So I have to like go in person and buy them myself like the good old days. Or like how people used to do it, I guess. I mean, I don't know why you would buy or, or um, vitamin D tablets online anyway. Just, Just get I, them in person. I because I get ten percent discount on Amazon.ca, and but, they just come straight to my door. But isn't that like up to a very low limit of like a grand? Yes, yeah, but it's like up to a thousand dollars or something i think uh -huh. but i don't buy enough things on amazon and year end is coming i think i still have like i see 400 500 dollars left on that discount with the 10 percent things which i'll probably never use i see um so if you need to buy stuff on amazon let me know okay we'll get you right. that solid 10 percent yeah, yeah. Um, hey, or well, any of the listeners in this economy in this economy am i right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah i'm gonna do that and uh, continue to find joy joys in my life because yeah it's darker now again it's been raining less so i'm happy about that i don't mind the snow or cold as much blue skies have been really nice yeah so. and like even today we have to go to the gym instead of biking i was like it's a little sunny i'm just gonna walk i'm gonna maximize the exposure to uh -huh. the light um yeah and now that i know someone might be going away next week uh, which i knew before but conveniently forgotten <laughs> uh, i have to figure out other things to do and keep my week occupied just so, so that I can feel productive because that's what ventures are for. Yes. Productiveness and creativity. True. Yeah. So, uh, quick did beggars. 
Um, I mentioned I was going to take some action on winter hobbies. Like I mentioned like music instruments or whatever. Uh, so I had a conversation with my girlfriend about win- those winter hobbies, and we agreed that we both want to get a piano-style keyboard. Uh, so decision was made. No action was taken yet, but the initial discussion happened on like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, does that make sense to you? Uh, yes, cool. We're both on, on board with this. Uh, so that will probably be the plan going forward. Um, one of my friends still has my guitar, so I'll need to eventually one of these years uh, get it uh, from the island. Uh, I mentioned that I got into coffee uh, in the break over the summer. And so one of the things I did over this past week was review a or watch videos I hadn't watched and rewatch some of the original videos I watched about making coffee, like preparing the beans and uh, doing latte art. So a lot of the latte art stuff was new. I hadn't watched that before. Um, but it's something I do most days now is make at least one coffee. And my latte art is not improving. Uh, so I need to figure out why. And it's like, it's almost like trying once-ish a day to make a coffee is not enough exposure to just magically learn how to do latte art. Crazy. Uh, so yeah, watched some videos, learned a bunch today, watching some of those, and reviewed some of the like fundamentals on how to steam the milk and, and whatnot from videos I watched f- six months ago, whatever it was when I first watched them and I started making coffee. So... Uh, that's hobby adjacent, I guess. It's not like something I can just arbitrarily go do and just make a bunch of coffee uh, unless I don't want to sleep or not drink it, which would be kind of a waste. Yeah. Um, but it is something I consider somewhat of a hobby I'm interested in because it's not super productive or anything. It's just for fun. Yeah, invite a bunch of friends at 8 a.m. <laughs> well, we do have uh, we do have decaf beans uh, that I always keep on hand, uh-huh. so that uh, if people come over, it was nice having people over a while ago, a couple weeks ago, and being able to be like, oh, can I get you anything? Coffee, tea, because mm-hmm. I actually had coffee and tea. <laughs> I'm not used to having anything, wow. ever in my I home. Too. And, and alcohol. multiple whiskeys and uh, liquors and sorts of things. So yeah. It's a re- we're trying to oh, act like no. we have friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> uh, I said I was going to start reading uh, Building an Interpreter slash Building a Compiler. They're two separate books. I'm starting with Building an Interpreter because it's recommended. That's the first one. And so far I have uh, written the Lexer, or at least I've finished the section on writing a Lexer. I don't know if there's going to be more to it later. Uh, but the basics on writing a Lexer, and I've started on the Parser. And so this has been super fun. I'm really enjoying it. One, it's nice writing something other than a hello world in Go. Uh, It's pretty simple for the most part. Like it's a very approachable language that makes a lot of sense. The things that trip me up still are like the um, using the uh, asterisks and the ampersand at the right times and understanding like exactly why. I'm like, okay, so I'm doing something with like pointers and dereferencing. I, I don't know. I'll just copy this. And then later I copy the code. Like I'm not doing a copy paste. I'm writing it all out, which takes a while, but it's good practice for understanding what I'm actually doing and good practice just for learning the syntax and things. Uh, but I'll write it all out and then be like, okay, do I understand what I wrote? Uh, or vice versa. I'll 
they'd be like, all right, now we have to add support for the let keyword or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, based on what we've done so far, can I figure out what I would need to do to implement the let keyword? And so far it's been mostly successful with the occasional like syntax issue here and there. So it's been a lot of fun, really enjoying it. Uh, I didn't realize that um, the standard for implementing a parser is using uh, a parser generator because apparently writing a parser on your own is very buggy and difficult and using a this was the part that surprised me using a parser generator is like uh, something that can be provable and that is like safe and more performant and is what they recommend for production it's like huh yeah, so there's these special languages you use to like define how a parser should work, and then the parser is automatically generated uh, for your language. So haven't that's not in the book. I may, maybe it'll be in the compiler version. I don't know, uh, but it's already fun just having something that I can start up a REPL and then have it uh, say like "Welcome, welcome to the REPL," and then I type like a valid statement and it spits out all the lext variables or lext um, tokens. So it doesn't do anything yet because I haven't implemented the language itself, but currently I just have it so that if it, again, I don't do any of this, I'm just copying the book. Um, but if you type in a valid statement, it just dumps to standard out the tokens, which is still very satisfying. Cause I'm like, this all made sense. I understand how this all works. But the cool thing about this book is that he'll explain this is what we're going to do. You'll notice, for example, that we're making this trade off and that you wouldn't want to do it in production for this reason, but the complexity is a non, uh, like a non-trivial uh, improvement. And so we'll need to, for the purpose of understanding how this works, not, we'll skip that part. So like, for example, when he's implementing numbers, he's like, we're going to use uh, like, standard integers or whatever like the small ints like unsigned integers and uh, the characters that were supported were uh, Unicode or something they, they didn't include a bunch of characters that you might include in a language anyway and he's like to do that you would need to do all of these things and he explains why and then the other one was um, the lexer doesn't tag the like line number and position or anything is so that if, if there's a syntax error or something it won't be able to say on this line this character expected whatever got whatever it's just going to barf and you're gonna be like oh yeah i guess i guess i did something wrong uh so there's limits to it as well oh this was one of the first things he pointed out he's like we are not a, uh, when he was setting up the um, tokens, in, it would be like let all caps as a constant and then the string let instead of having it assigned to like a byte or something. He's like, yes, this is less performant than if it was a byte or an integer or something that's small, but it's going to be way easier for us debugging if you get a printout that says uh, something happened at let or expected let got semicolon that's gonna be a lot easier than you getting some byte string and trying to figure out what the heck happened so yeah it's been it's been cool really enjoying it uh, recommend if anyone else is curious like me about language design yeah
You're not going to do a Minecraft version of it? As implement the Lexer in yeah. a Minecraft computer. I showed my girlfriend some of the screenshots I took. I wanted to, so I tried to log into my Minecraft account in order to show her these uh, PLAs and stuff that I built. And I don't remember if I said this on the show, but Microsoft has combined Mojang and Microsoft accounts so that you you can't log into I can't or I can't log into my Mojang account right now because it says you need to convert this to a Microsoft account. But I already have a Microsoft account. And when I tried to merge them through their website, it said, try again later. Like, attempt failed, try again later. I was like, well, I I just wanted to log in and show my girlfriend these computers I built a year or whatever ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So fortunately, I'd taken screenshots that I'd sent you in Slack once upon a time. So I showed her that, sent her like the, uh, the programmable logic array that took binary inputs and converted them to a seven-segment display, to which she responded, I understood I make a computer in Minecraft. <laughs> That's all that matters. Uh, so quick do-beggars. Um, I am visiting my family, so be a good family member. I uh, don't see everybody very often, so try to make the most of that. I should pick some new, or try to get some new gym goals that I can get somewhat motivated by. A change in schedule has helped. That was a previous do better, was uh, not try to get enough sleep, which has made a big difference. I've been getting consistently at least eight to nine hours of sleep um, for a few weeks now. Uh, and before I was getting five, six hours most nights, and then occasionally I would get like 10. So it was not, it was not good. Uh, so consistent sleep has helped a lot. Um, and it's made me slightly more motivated. I'm less miserable when I get to the gym. I'm not just like, oh, what's the point? I might as well go home. Yeah. I actually do want to work out. And uh, seeing some people who are uh, clearly also at the gym to try to improve yeah. um, gets me slightly more motivated than at the previous gym I was going to, yes. where it's just, yeah, not, not very motivating. So yeah, there's that. Did not uh, brainstorm ideas for the dev blog, so I should do that. And that is pretty much, pretty much it. Well, well you're a great member of the Do Better family. Aw, thanks, Gian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's us, everyone. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you actually listened to our Do Betters, I am uh, quite shocked. Uh, I'm assuming that the drop-off would be sharp if we could see a graph of sure. that. But that's why it's at the end. Yeah. And that's why I try to include tech stuff in the um, interesting, frustrating, cool as well. So that we're not sure. just boring people with uh, non-Rocket League things. That's true. And we didn't talk about Rocket League at all this whole episode. So. Yeah. Maybe next There's, time. Yeah, I, know. I could talk about the new mechanic that everybody's arguing about what to call it. Is it like a zap dash? Is it a landing wave dash? Is it like a sonic flip? It's the cargo burr. It it causes that. Yeah, the <laughs> cargo does, does go burr. So anyway, yeah, tune in next week or whenever we upload. Maybe that'll be my thoughts with Nathan. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. And we honestly don't. And so neither do you. So. Yeah, it's a surprise for everyone involved. Wow. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.